Hey everybody, this is Aid, and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. This is show episode version number 12, and whoever thought that I would actually get my holiday Holger photos back so quickly. More on that in a minute. Graham, how are you, buddy? I'm very good, thank you, Aid. It's great to be back. Uh, episode 12, The Dirty Dozen. I'm guessing this is going to be the real raunchy show for us. Um... I don't know whether any of these holiday photos of yours have got bikini shots in, but uh, fingers crossed, you look good in a bikini. Um, and Aid, I not only want to say welcome to you this week, I also want to say welcome to Canada, um, <laughs> because I was on iTunes as I um, am every 20 minutes or so of every day, looking to see if there's a new review left for us um, anywhere on the planet. Uh, the answer to that, incidentally, uh, so nobody's kept on tender hooks, is it? no. Um, Shame but, on you all. Shame on you all. But I clicked on the Canadian iTunes store, and I saw that our podcast has had a blip in the most recent episode. <laughs> um, and by blip, what I mean is that it's gone from nobody downloading it at all in Canada to, I suspect, <laughs> one person in Canada downloading it. Um, if you are that one person in Canada... Thank you for tuning in. Uh, you are welcome. And if if you were here, I would be showering you with your loonies and toonies as a sign of my gratitude. Uh, welcome, Canucks. Um, if you stop listening after this last episode, this entire piece will have been a real waste of breath. But you've got to try. Well, it's another step in our quest for global domination. <laughs> yes, a real slow step. <laughs> For, uh, we're taking the pinhole speed approach to um, world domination. It's like a massive game of risk, but with a podcast involved. Yeah. Excellent. Glad to hear it. So uh, it's been ooh, nearly a week since you and I last spoke. And in that time, I've actually received back, in fact, just this afternoon when I came home from work, my holiday Holger photos. I've had just a few minutes to put some of them up to our Flickr group, the Sunny 16 podcast Flickr group. Uh, anybody wants to have a look at these as we talk through them a little bit for the next few minutes, uh, that's press pause now. Go look up your computer, find the Sunny 16 podcast group on Flickr, post some photos to it and then sit back and listen to me ramble on about what a great camera the Holger is for holiday photos. Oh, I can see bikinis already. Result! <laughs> Yeah, well, you have to, don't you, really? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just seeing these for the first time as well, so this is exciting. We can all uh, listen and watch along together. Absolutely. But before we do that, just to make sure that all our listeners are absolutely clear, especially the ones that don't have access to the Flickr group while they're listening to this, the photos are not of me in a bikini. Well, the ones that you've shared are not of you in a bikini. Well, you know, some things have to be kept private for everybody's benefit. <laughs> True enough. Mrs. A doesn't like it when I show the personal stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So do you know what? Um, I have to sing very, very highly the praises of Kodak Ektar film. Uh, people will remember from the last couple of podcasts, I took some Ektar with me, I took some Portra with me, and I took some Tri-X with me. Uh, despite the camera falling apart towards the end of the holiday, uh, I got back five rolls of photos, and I think out of those five rolls, I might have expected a maximum of 12 to come out, and I th- not 12, sorry, 12 per roll, uh, 60 photos, and I think I got back about 57, 58 photos. So well done to the Holger. 
Uh, even under duress and falling apart in high temperatures it clearly wasn't designed for. Uh, I've posted a handful of my favourites up to the Flickr group and uh, well let's have a look at it. Um, by far the most colourful and saturated ones are of course the Ektar. So there is a uh, a photo of uh, a beach, uh, some people on a beach with uh, with a sea, a mountain in the background and uh, a really, really large inflatable thing that was floating in the sea that kids could play on. Um, it's the thing it's reminded me of. And this is not to compare myself in any way, shape or form at all. But I have been following uh, the Martin Parr Studio Instagram account. Um, and they're posting at the moment loads of photos from Rio that Martin Parr took at Copacabana Beach, I don't know, in the 90s or something like that. And uh, they're posting these, you know, because it's the Olympics. And it reminded me of that. It's a sort of, it's a candid shot of, of people on the beach. Um, nowhere near as good as his, of course, but uh, really super bright and colourful. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure the people's skin was really quite that pink, although there were some pretty pink it's people possible. out there. possible, yeah. <laughs> no, it looks great. I, I love how colourful it is. And you're right, it, it does. I, I am also um, seeing Martin Parr's work. And he, not just, I mean, at the moment, the stuff he's sharing is from Rio, but he has a lot of um, pictures taken on the seafront in Britain and, and in Rio and, and all over the place. And, it, it, yeah, it really does evoke that same kind of feel with that. Um, was this using your wide-angle lens? I don't think this one was, actually. Uh, I think this is just the standard Holger lens. It's displaying yeah. a little bit of vignetting as if it just, had... Uh, <laughs> just a smidge. But, yeah, but, I mean, that's that's what the Holger does. So, true, true. Uh, it would be the, the the very few, the very small handful of photos I actually used the uh, the wide-angle lens for whilst I was away um, have come out, and there is absolutely no mistaking it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so no, if, you're, if you're in any doubt, it isn't using the wide-angle lens. Yeah. No, it's not. I, 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 I'd love the fact. I'm guessing they sent you a. Did they send you a disc, or did you say they send you a link for these pictures? Uh, this is AG Photo Labs. They do uh, a disc. So they, they send you a nice big scan because when you click on them, flicker they get embiggened uh, to a whopping great big size, and um, it, it's it, the sharpness in the image is uh, spectacular. I mean, right in the middle, obviously. In fact, when I say right in the middle, the cone of sharpness from front to back is impressive for the middle, I'm going to say, not even third, I'm going to say the middle fifth. There's a circle in the middle, <laughs> one fifth, and it's really shot, and then it instantly goes to shit either side. Uh, Holgers, love them, love them. Do you know what? That's part of the appeal for me. Um, oh, no, no, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's great. the imperfection of it that, that appeals to me. No, it's worked very well. Yeah, no, that looks great. Love it. So next. next one, next one. Okay, so uh, a couple along the line from there is a sunset. Uh, there's uh, it's uh, some bits of boat and some people actually stood on a boat that was moored right next to us and a sunset uh, in the background uh, behind an island. Um, I cannot believe that that shot came out of a Holger. I was so pleased um, when I saw that. I was like, wow, I actually do know how to take photographs. <laughs> no, it's come out really nicely. It is... And um, it's one of those things, isn't it, where you had a choice of two exposure levels. <laughs> it was like, well, I may as well try and take this. And it, it worked. It was the right exposure for that, and it came out perfectly. So was this another one with the, the Ektar? 
Uh, yeah, I think that was. Actually, the, the photos do actually have tags on them for which film they were shot with. Uh, have a quick look at that. Oh, yeah. Yes, indeed and they do. It is the Ektar, yes. So that, I mean, I was really, really pleased with that. I mean, it's, you know, you, you take, you use a Holger and you expect it. You expect there to be uh, plenty of vignette and it to be not particularly uh, in focus or anything like that. Um, I, and I know the point of this Holger is not to take photos that a normal camera could take, but I looked at that and thought, oh, that could have come out of a proper camera. <laughs> uh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it still has plenty of vignette and it's not sharp around the edges at all, but it looks lovely. It's a lovely shot. It's um, it's still a, it's a lovely Holger shot. Well, thank you very kindly, sir. So uh, I mean, it's, it's it's not my plan to to bore the listeners who uh, have not got access to this to talk through with the eight or so photos. Uh, you know, just uh, picking a, another one at random. Um, because of why I took it, uh, there's a photo of my daughter uh, sitting on a boat. I think she's eating her breakfast or a dinner or something like that, and it's um, it's. The, the sun was hitting her face but but at an angle so not all her face was uh, in the sunshine and you know what this is one of the reasons I love to shoot film because I'm not sure even with a really really good digital camera that I could have taken that shot yeah because the the highlight preservation the the curve the tonal curve in the highlights of a, of a decent modern emulsion is still a million miles ahead of your best digital sensor Mm. Uh, and it just rounds off nicely i remember it it was you know it was almost like you know like bright white on one side of a face and pitch black on the other side of the face and even with just a a silly little camera like the holger although i love it um it's not a great camera it's not very sophisticated and there's no way it should be able to take a, 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 a shot like this except that the film is really good as well yeah uh, I mean, that's, that's the thing with, with all film cameras, really, is that the most important part of the film camera is the film. The, you know, that is, that's your digital sensor. That's the thing that's doing all the, the real donkey work. And you're absolutely right. That where film still, to my mind, triumphs over digital is the dynamic range that it can capture. And I know that the, the modern uh, digital cameras are getting very good and there's a lot you can do with it. But film manages to capture it very naturally. Um, and when you see HDR images, high dynamic range images that have been done digitally, they stand out as being a high... You look at it and you instantly know that this has had work done to get everything that's needed out the shadows and out the highlights. And film is better at dealing with that stuff in a much more natural way. Totally. Uh, and you know it's it's so much more natural more forgiving uh, especially more forgiving of people who who don't get their camera settings right as I often don't Um, and uh, you know it just works it just works so I guess the other thing that I have to speak very highly of is is your advice before I went Um, you know you said to me shoot color and I said no hold goes up to black and white and you said no take some color film and shoot that and I got there and I was instantly pleased because it's <laughs> such a colorful country 
Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, yes, yeah. the, the the sea is blue and the sky is blue. All right, okay, but beyond that, it's it is a it's a really colourful country, and you know, uh, you know, whether it was a, a fishing village we stopped off in where all the houses were painted different colours, uh, or whatever it was, um, there was colour all over the place, and it was fantastic to shoot some colour film. So much so that of the eight photos I've put up on Flickr so far, only one of them was black and white. Yeah. Um, I'll mention it because I did it on purpose uh, and because it's a token black and white shot um it's a got again of my daughter actually we were in uh, some roman ruins and uh, unlike being in rome uh, on the outskirts of split which is where this was taken um the roman ruins are recognized and they're sort of looked after and there's some signs for tourists to read but there's nobody there and you don't pay to get in and you can scramble all over them <laughs> Mm. so my kids now think that roman ruins are a place you go to play <laughs> <laughs> so i don't think i can ever take them to rome because you're not allowed anywhere near them in rome but um this photo is of my daughter stood on i know a lump of rock that used to be the bottom of somebody's column in in ancient roman times and what i tried to do uh, is to capture it um you might be able to see uh, in the background, uh, there mm. is uh, a row of buildings. Now, they look pretty small because they're a couple of miles away, but actually all of those are tower blocks and it's all communist concrete. Oh, wow. So the the, the history of the city of Split is it, it dates back to, uh, at the very least, the third century when a, a retiring Roman emperor uh, built a palace there. But even as late as the Second World War, it was a town of only about 35,000 people. And since then, so in, in less than 100 years, it's grown from that to being well over 200,000 people. And there were a lot of communist tower blocks. And uh, this was an effort by me to sort of show the contrast of the, the Roman ruins um, and, and the tower blocks behind. It's a bit of a it shows a bit of a downside of the camera in the sense that because a 60 mil lens on a whole is actually quite wide angle. Uh, it doesn't really show those buildings as being very large. So it wasn't quite the shot I was after. It wasn't quite the mental image I had when I clicked the shutter. But uh, nonetheless, um, it's a photo you could take maybe in one or two towns in the world, if that, um, you know, uh, a, a little girl playing on some Roman ruins with a whole bunch of communist tower blocks in the background. So, you know, it's not exactly art. It's more of a holiday snapshot that had a little bit of thought behind it. But uh, I'll give it, uh, it's what maybe my granddad would have called worth a mention, at least for the uh, the thought behind it, if not for the outcome. Well, it's, it's in black and white, so that automatically makes it art to at least to some extent. Yeah, I suppose so. It's also got a bit of a light leak along the left-hand side of it because this is the the fifth roll of film where the second piece of foam had come off inside my Holger and it came out really fat. So this <laughs> is the roll of film I had to take into a very darkened bathroom and stick it the camera under a towel and then take all the film out, unspool it completely off the spool and then wind it up nice and tight. And to be honest, I'm amazed it survived as well as it did. Uh, so uh, congratulations to the Holger. Thank you very much, Graham, for insisting that I take a whole bunch of colour film with me because that Ektar is amazing. It's been a while since I've shot Ektar and I've forgotten just how good it really, really is. Uh, yeah, I have to say, I mean, looking at the pictures you come back with, I am very glad that you did, dude, because in all honesty, like, you know, that, that one of the, the sunset on the boat uh, and the one on the beach and the one, you know, they look fantastic in colour. And uh, I mean, they would have looked nice in black and white, I'm sure, but they would not have been the same. So I am really, really glad because uh, that 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 one you talked about first on the beach is just so colourful and there's so much life there. And um, yeah, it's it's a 
it's a great shot. Um, I'm very glad you listened to the voice of reason and wisdom. <laughs> Who's that, that then? That's me. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. My mistake. Everybody uh, knows that. I'm the sensible one. <laughs> okay so all right that's uh thank you for indulging me everybody uh talking about my own photos feels a little weird to do that so we'll pass it back to graham now now graham uh, i saw you posted something uh on instagram this week i believe your mum has bought you a present she has um i i think i think she might have done it to troll me this is, <laughs> this is what i'm beginning to suspect because my mum, who is, we've talked about her quite a few times because she's great and she's getting into this film camera stuff with great gusto. And being a good British person as she is, of a weekend, she likes to get herself to a car boot sale um, because that's what all British people do at weekends. They go to car boot sales to furkle through each other's junk and just move it around. And she's been keeping an eye out for cameras when she goes. And she's picked up a few cool little point and shoots for herself to use. And last weekend, she picked up for me for the princely and correct sum of one pound a Helena 3000 disc camera. Um, I know, a disc camera. Um, now, I haven't got this yet. I've only got pictures of it. I am very excited to get my hands on it. Um, the reason I think my mum is trolling me is because... Uh, oh, one second, dude. No, 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 no. Let's make this part of the recording. Okay, dear listeners, dear listeners, Dave off of the forums is dialing into this call or into some call anyway, but he's just gone away now because we've been trying to get Dave uh, to talk about his results from the Cheap Shot Challenge. We'll try and invite him in. Can you invite him into this call? Well, I tell you what, if everybody can ignore the little bleeps that Skype does for a couple of seconds while uh, Graham tells us about the present he received from his mum, um, <laughs> I will try and get Dave on the line and see what happens. Yeah, so anyway, the long and short of it is that she's bought this camera for a pound, which you know that I can't say no to because that would be morally wrong on so many levels. Um, and... Unfortunately, you can still get film for it, but the film is going to cost me £6 to get. So I've got to do that. I've got to try shooting this thing. Um, but we shall see what comes of that. Because the thing with the disc cameras is the disc cameras were one of the many film types that Kodak bought in to... I don't really know why they did it. Segregate the market, maybe? Um, they started doing this very early on. So... There were a few different film types, but it's all settled around the 120 film. Then Kodak bought out 620 film to use in its cameras, which is exactly the same as 120 film, just with different spool sizes. Uh, then there was the Kodak Instamatics. Oh, is he here? It's ringing. We're, dial we're dialing him. We're dialing him. He might it's be exciting. in exciting. I have shuddered to think how drunk he is by this point. <laughs> it's going to be... It's is he with it enough to answer the Skype call? Oh, he was with it enough to dial in a moment ago, but he didn't well, he hang on long just... enough. Mate, he didn't hang on long enough for me to work it out what was going on. He, he might have just been headbutting the keyboard. We just don't know. The tension. You know, the best thing is that now that you've invited him into this call, he will at any point be able to just join in. So even if he doesn't answer now, he could just join in at any point. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah. <laughs> like, shall I remove him from the group? Um, well, whatever. You know, we've opened Pandora's box. It seems rude to close it again. All right, we'll leave it as is. We will tempt fate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway, getting back to this, this camera. So 
as I said, Kodak brought out the Instamatic cartridge film, which was very popular for a while in the 60s, I think, was the Instamatics. Uh, I remember my mum had one. It must have been in the 70s. But, uh, yeah, I think they came out in the 60s. And then after that, they brought out 110 film, uh, which obviously you're using at the moment in your Viserette. And the disc camera, the disc film was the... um, Second to last hurrah at this. Uh, it is notable for its convenience, as with so many of these films like the 110 and like the Instamatic, you just slide it in. Um, the negative size is tiny on these. It's really small. Um, but as with almost all of Kodak's cameras and Kodak's films, it was aimed very much at the um, point-and-shoot market they were aiming for people who didn't want to get out there and take great artistic pictures with fancy slrs they were people who just wanted to pick something up and go with it and i don't think the disc cameras were ever particularly popular i certainly don't think that they were as popular as the 110 before it um or even the aps cameras which came afterwards oh i had um, one of those i am actually using one at the moment um <laughs> I, a couple of years ago, a next-door neighbour gave me this block of APS film. Where he'd got it from, I have no idea, but this block of APS film. It had just been sat in a cupboard in my house for ages. I found an APS go. So the APS stands for, I think it's Advanced Photographic System. And these are cameras which, again, use a very simple little cartridge system where you just push it in and close the door so no needing to spool on film not that this is difficult i mean this is the thing about all of these things from kodak is that all of them were solutions looking for a problem that didn't really exist which is why 35 millimeter film just outlasted all of them and quite cheerfully ignored them but anyway the selling point of aps film was that you could in camera make choices about oh i want this panoramic or this size or that size um and it would record that information on the actual film itself magnetically so when you set the film off to be developed the machines would know what to do so you'd get the pictures out the right size you wanted it um and so you gave you more flexibility i think it, it just enabled people who would perhaps up until this point only been shooting and getting little six by four pictures to get nice panoramic shots and things like that. Um, I remember and- that actually. I remember with my APS-C camera, which I'd only had for a little while, but uh, if you chose panorama, you would get a print, uh, a massive print. It was like, I know, eight by four or nine by four rather than yeah. six by four. But that's not to say that the amount of film that it had used to create the negative was any greater all it was doing was you know uh, letterboxing it and and printing it up so the panorama the panorama shots used to have loads of grain in them yeah yeah i mean it is exactly as it is with the uh 35 millimeter panoramas with the wood you and i have been using this year it is letterboxing and the a is no bigger than 35 millimeter in fact i think it's fractionally smaller than 35 millimeter which is going to be a real pain when I come to try and figure out how to develop it, I may just send it off. I, I'm um, I'm uh, going to take a punt here because um, I'm I'm sure. Well, I'm not sure because otherwise it wouldn't be a punt. But uh, I think 
the APS-C digital sensor sizes that we have today are called that because they are a similar size to an APS negative from the 90s. So that 1.5 crop factor or 1.6 if you use a Canon, I think, uh, that, that a lot of digital cameras have. So the Fujis that you and I use, Graham, uh, mm. with a 1.5 crop factor, I think the sensors that we have are a very similar size to the APS film negative in the same way that the micro four thirds sensors are very similar in size to a 110 film. Ah, there you go. I did not know that. Um, well, I'm I'm not sure whether I will try and develop this stuff at home myself. Um, it's quite the camera that I'm using is a little Fuji something or other, and it's fine. It's nice. It's compact, little point and shoot. It's got buttons on there that I don't know what they do, so I'm not pressing them much. Um, Coward. <laughs> it just it, it lights up numbers on this little screen, and it makes no sense at all. I, I just I I need to try and get a manual. I, I ought to go to Mike Buckus and um, see if I can get a manual for it there. Um, but the the film on these, once it's finished shooting, it winds all the film back into the canister, and um, and I said it's got all the information about choices on there, so you can take them away and, and you can get multiple prints done from them, and you know it was supposed to make it far easier for people to keep these negatives safe for years to come, and also it had some nice features like you could get halfway through a roll of film and then rewind it all back in. And then when you put it back into the camera the second time, it would know how far to go until you shot all your, and, you know, and to say if you shot 15 pictures, took it out, put in a different film, and then put the old film back in again, it would go to the 16th shot and start shooting. So there were some technical advantages to it. That's pretty clever, actually. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but the fact that it was a smaller negative size, and barring a couple of cameras from. Canon and Nikon, uh, which were giving the functionality of SLRs. I think it was the um, Nikon Pronia, and I cannot remember what the Canon's called. I, I've looked at it. Um, it's quite a funky space-age-looking camera, um, but the name escapes me, uh, that you could use the interchangeable lenses on with it and get some of that SLR functionality. But if you're wanting to take those pictures, why would you not use 35 millimeter film and it gets back to that? So, yeah, it's it's interesting whether it's the disc camera or the APS film or or even to a lesser extent the 110 and the Instamatic. I, it, I, it fascinates me that Kodak kept bringing these things out. Um, if it, it it feels a bit like they started off as a supplier of mass market cameras to the bottom end of the market really with the brownie in the first place and they desperately clung on to that all the way through their trading life they did i'm, I'm pretty sure they did because as you say i mean they started right back with you know, taking the 120 film and turning it into 620 film just for kodak cameras it was always about trying to lock you in yeah and they they made some nice cameras they, um particularly in the, the 60s with the Kodak retinas and retinets. They made some nice cameras. Um, but that was about it. Uh, apart from that little blip then, they didn't really ever get much into making high-end cameras, and certainly not through the 60s and 70s and... Sorry, 70s and 80s and, and into the 90s. They just got left behind by 
everybody else. They weren't competing at all. They they weren't really interested in the SLR market or anything like that. And although they were very early pioneers with um, the digital stuff, again, they just got left behind on that because the early adopters wanted higher end stuff. And um, but yeah, it's uh, Kodak's story for me is. Um, a bit sad because now they are exist only in a very diminished form and they went through bankruptcy and fortunately uh, Kodak Alaris came out of that to continue making film, a, a much reduced selection of film and papers and the fact that they've had the support of the movie studios means that that's still going ahead but compared to the giant that they were and given the legacy and how important they were for photography. I mean, they they bought it to the masses before Kodak. Taking pictures meant um, getting a large format camera, getting underneath that cloak, and and all that malarkey. And Kodak opened it up to anyone to take a picture of, to take pictures. And because of that, it suddenly meant that there were people who were able to take pictures just like you've been taking whilst you were away on holiday. Which would never have been taken before, um, because who's going to take a, a camera like you know a big large format camera out on the boat to take family snaps? <laughs> Nobody. It was, it was a pain enough trying to take a Holger, to be honest. Yeah. It was you know because it's uh, yeah I was constantly worried about you know it's getting really warm now, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and and this is a black plastic box that my nice film is sitting inside. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you sort of walk around with it for five minutes and think, oh, I better put it back in the bag, you know, because it's getting a bit warm now. Um, uh, and then, of course, it did actually fall apart. So. <laughs> and then, of course, it did fall apart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, my uh, my caution was well placed, but clearly not um, clearly not enough caution. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm when, once I get hold of the um, disc camera, I will try and get hold of a roll of um or it's not a roll is it a disc of film there's and, a clue in the name mate yeah there is a clue in the name and i'll try and give that a go and once i finish this uh roll that's in the aps camera at the moment i will certainly get that developed god knows what that's going to be like because i have no idea how old the film is i suppose it can't be super old because it's aps um it's probably 20 years old or so maybe yeah, maybe. It doesn't look like it was particularly high-quality film in the first place. Um, actually, this is, you know, on the subject of Kodak making these little point-and-shoots to bring it to the market to replace these girt big things that um, people are lugging around everywhere. Guess what I'm picking up on Monday, Aid? Uh, I don't know. This is news. It is news. I'm picking up a 4x5 camera on Monday. A girt big camera with a cloak to put over my head. Cool. <laughs> oh, you've been wanting one of those for ages. I know, I know. And um, I finally took the plunge this week. Um, it's a pretty ancient one. I mean, not quite as ancient as uh, the, you know, the late 1800s. But um, yeah, it's a Plowbell Peco super 2 which dates back to uh, i think about the mid 50s um <laughs> it's a yeah get big red bellowed german made 4x5 camera oh, Seems... well, they, they built them to last in those days yeah let's hope so let's hope so um so yeah nothing more to report on that really other than i'll be getting that next week and let's see what, what happens with that um 
it should be entertaining for somebody at least. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe you should sort of stick a, a phone on the side when you try and put it together and, and take a time lapse of you trying to construct it or something. <laughs> yeah, it, there's, there's so much to learn about these things because there's just such a process to them and you've got so many more choices with them because you're not just putting in a roll of film and going. You have to load up the film carriers and you have to make sure that you put things in, in the right order, put the dark slide in, turn it out. Oh God, this just the, the amount of room for me to really balls things up at every step of the way is huge. Um, so uh, excited about that. Very excited about that. Yeah, that sounds cool. You will totally be doubling the number of people I know that shoot large format. <laughs> <laughs> for the whole of my grown up life, I think I've only known one person that shoots a, uh, a large format camera and he's actually a, professor of photography or something like that um so at uh, brighton university i don't know if he's a professor but he certainly teaches photography at brighton university he's been a mate of mine for a long time um uh he's the only person i know or have ever known who shoots large format photography so yeah i mean it's, it's a bit of a big bulky thing i was looking at the uh field camera types those are the ones which fold down into a small case to make them easier to transport um, they're still quite big and heavy, but compared to a monorail camera, which this Plowbell is, they are certainly more portable. But they're just—they were just too expensive. This this Plowbell represents the cheapest way that I could find to get into um, large format photography, and it will at least solve one problem that I have, because I'm the person that finds getting through even just eight roll, eight shots on a pinhole roll difficult. Now I now I can just get through one. I can get through one shot at a time. That'll be fine. That's not a bad point, actually. That's yeah. Oh well, okay. Well, good luck with that then. Um, I think that's a fantastic toy. Yeah. It's not really a toy, is it? As an oh, instrument, no, an instrument of craft and art. Ah, uh, it's definitely a toy. <laughs> well, aren't they all? Okay, so I had no idea when uh, we were putting the show notes together that you actually had two new cameras, one with the smallest negative in the world and one with <laughs> the largest negative in the world. Um, occupy the extremes of all things. Okay, I what did I say? I suppose somewhere in the middle of that is my Voigtlander Vitaret that I've yes. been shooting this week. To be fair to the small, uh, closer to the smaller end. <laughs> <laughs> So I have uh, finally made a very late entry into the Cheap Shots Challenge. Uh, apologies to everybody that was streets ahead of me for, for holding up the whole process, but we will get to the streets end of this first ahead. round. That's a good pun, because it's the street photography challenge. You're streets ahead. Ah, yeah, uh, yes. So uh, following up uh, a long way behind, I have been out this week and shooting my Voigtlander Vitaret, and um, I actually quite enjoyed it. It was. It wasn't as thoroughly immersing experience as shooting the Pentax Auto One Ten, or as, uh, or as as natural feeling to me as shooting the Holger. But this, uh, yeah, but you know, not too dissimilar in the sense that there's not a lot you have to choose or do. Mm. Um, you know, so so you know, to to recap, this is a a I guess what these days you'd call it a candy bar style um, One Ten camera. Um, 
you know, and smaller than even a, a 21st century candy bar where the companies have been gradually reducing their size for 30 years since <laughs> I was a kid. You know, a Mars bar from today is nowhere near as big as I remember it when I was a kid. <laughs> Anyhow, um, it's it's about that sort of size, so it slips nicely in in the trouser pocket or wherever. I haven't had to use the shirt pocket clip yet. Oh, listen, I still want a picture of you with it in your shirt pocket. You need I, that needs to be a picture, and it needs to be on our Instagram account of you with that on your shirt pocket. All right, uh, maybe that would be a good item for one of those new Instagram stories that. Uh, that I'm told is a direct copy of Snapchat. <laughs> I think it needs to be our cover art for this podcast. So now you need to make it happen. We said it in the podcast. It needs to be a thing. No. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I could probably make that happen. Actually, um, I'll, I'll get on to that tomorrow. Good. Good man. Uh, so, shooting the Vitaret, uh, it is entirely automatic. Um, I finally figured out why there are also distance numbers on the aperture switch. <laughs> Because that was confusing the hell out of me. Uh, there's a sun and a cloud symbol, as as often you get on these smaller, cheaper cameras, and uh, but they're also matched with distance uh, markers. Um, uh, and I worked it out eventually. The distance is about the flash. And uh, it's the yes. subject. It's the camera to subject distance for when you're using the flash because it comes with a little clip-on flash mm-hmm. uh, it uses what seems to be a standard hot shoe um, i haven't tested it yet with you know uh, a remote trigger for a whole bunch of speed lights um, although i will because i quite fancy the idea of doing some studio work with a 110 camera <laughs> at some point in the future mate you're gonna have to because that's gonna come up in one of the challenges so uh, okay. let's hope it works well for you yeah well so i haven't tested the flash yet um but uh so uh but again it's it's automatic so it's, it's not like the whole in the sense that you know there's only one shutter speed it does have a range of shutter speeds i think from about half a second to about a 300th or something like that um and uh, but you can help it along a stop each way by choosing either sunny or cloudy as the as the settings um so that was good uh, it has a little red led in the viewfinder uh, that tells you when it thinks it's going to have trouble making the exposure mostly because it's too uh too slow or too dark i should say uh but yeah, it was quite good. It was nice to be able to um, just sort of, you know, surreptitiously or very quickly uh, pick it up out of your trouser pocket as you're walking along, put it to your eye and just press the button. I suspect the first couple of shots might have some fingers in them. <laughs> <laughs> the joy of small cameras. Because, yeah, I, it, I was about three or four shots into the roll and thought, mm, I probably shouldn't be holding it like that. And, of course, I have no idea if my finger was in the shot or not because the you're not it's not exactly an SLR. Um, the viewfinder is offset from the lens itself by, I don't know, a couple of inches or something like that. Uh, but, yeah, good fun. And, uh, you know, easy to shoot. Um, you know, uh, bright frames in the viewfinder so that you can see what's going to be you know, within your composition um, i have no idea how accurate they are but we'll we'll find out when it comes back and uh, we'll find out whether the the automatic nature of the exposure actually works at all you know it had some some uh, decent batteries in it the little led was coming on so i figured it's probably close close or close enough <laughs> So have you finished the roll of film? I have, and it's uh, been posted away. Oh, to, awesome! Yes, to to the the only people other than Lomography that I know that uh, process one ten film in the UK, and that's uh, the people we actually seem to mention them most weeks. Actually, the the chap uh, the chaps and chapess is at Photo Hippo, because um, I suspect if you're going to send your disc film 
um, to, to to be processed. And if you're going to send your APS film to be processed, I suspect that's going to be your your choice of lab as well, is it? Yeah, I you know I'm not sure even they do disc film. I think disc film was the ugly baby of it all. I I don't think anybody does disc film, but I think that might be something I'll be able to do at home, possibly. Or just sort of take but, the take the whole disc and stick it in a Patterson tank and wiggle it around for a bit. Yep. <laughs> Basically, that's going to be the way it's going to go. Well, I'm go- because I'm going to have to figure out how to develop four by five film sheet film. So if I can develop, have you ever seen one of these disc discs from a disc camera? Is this thing you've yes, come- not for a very long time. But I, uh, I mean, they they're reminiscent to me of the old uh, sort of the red uh, stereoscopic Disney viewer type things that you used to get, aren't they? Oh, I, I mean, I know what you mean. Uh, or even I've, smaller I- than that, though. So, okay, so like, well, that's where you just look through and press the button down, and the picture moves around when you have when you were a kid. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Because I, this going briefly getting back to this this camera again. Because I was trying to understand how these things even work. Because when you think of a disc camera, you think, oh, well, this has to be early digital because it's got a disc in it. But of course, it's not. It's completely analog still. <laughs> it's just bonkers. Um, but yeah, if I can get the disc out of it and dunk it in something you'll be fine yeah so i think what happens is that the disc spins around in the camera when you when you wind it on uh and and you know the the negatives are placed in the outside of the the circle uh, as right. they were in one of those old viewers um and as as you spin it round, the, the negative sort of clicks into place and 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 that's how you get it and then you get out at the end you get a disc of of images um that is my understanding. Uh, yeah, whether or not that is true or not, I, I don't know. But sounds believable to me. What a crazy idea! <laughs> they were <laughs> really reaching at that point, weren't they? They were, yeah. So, so as I say, um, the Voigtlander probably a, a slightly larger negative than what you're going to get out of that, um, but clearly nowhere as large as a four by five. <laughs> I don't have anything anywhere near as large as a four by five. And I'm well, sure you, you, I'm sure you'll rectify that. Mm, <laughs> do you know what I? I came back from Croatia thinking, you know, it wasn't tough shooting the Holger. I really liked it, and I thought, do you know, what? I might have had enough. And so what I've done is I've got uh, th- this week's walking around camera for my commute has been a proper Nikon SLR um, with uh, a roll of fp4 i think i put in it yeah one um ilford fp4 125 iso and a 35 mil lens and i'm thinking i'm gonna go out and shoot some of my more cinematic type views uh so the 35 is a bit wider than i'd usually use but that helps with the cinematic stuff because the stuff in the background is slightly smaller and it can fit into a much more um wide screen type format so I've gone back, yeah, you know, uh, and but having received those photos today, the joy of Holger has come straight back to me, and I think, oh, really? Yeah, that's an amazing, amazing camera. Good fun camera, but I think that your course of action is probably a smart one, because it it's good to pick up something where you need to remind yourself how to use controls and stuff, rather than going, <laughs> ah, the film's latitude will cope with all of this just fine. Focusing and uh, making adjustments, I don't need to worry about that. I just need to point it and click it. Because um, you, you framed the shots beautifully, but yeah, I think getting a bit of a re- getting a bit of work back done with uh, your SLR is probably a good thing. It's a good antidote. Yeah, absolutely. Well, whilst we're talking about the Cheap Shots Challenge, I'm one step ahead of you, and I have developed 
I finished and developed my role of film from that. Um, so I can finally talk about how the pictures from my camera, which in case anybody has forgotten, was the quite beautiful Olympus IS-1000 or IS-1 as it's known in the States, which is uh, a bridge camera. So it's got a fixed lens, which is 35 to 90, something like that. I can't remember, mm-hmm. forgotten already. Um, and I loaded it up with a nice fresh roll of Ilford Pan F Plus 50 ISO film. and Which you've been whinging about ever since. Uh, yes, it was a mistake. And the pictures bear that out, frankly. Um, because the biggest problem, not in all of them, certainly, because on some days it was nice and sunny. Um, but it wasn't on every day. And definitely the biggest problem is shutter speed being too slow. Um, there's a lot of pictures where there is movement in that I wouldn't want, whether it's my movement or the subject's movement. It's uh, just not sharp. The, I told you that I'd taken some pictures when I went to Laycock. Not very many, because there weren't very many opportunities, but um, I think in all of those pictures from Laycock, they're all just a bit blurry, uh, because with most of them I was actually having to use the lens on the longer side, and... Um, so the, the shake was amplified. Um, so that's a bit... It's not disappointing because I knew I'd made a mistake. Um, putting those ones aside, the shots from when the weather was better and brighter um, show me a few things about the camera, really. First, that lens is pretty good. That is a pretty nice, sharp lens. Um, and it seems to be pretty nice and sharp right across the board. We haven't got any of our nice... Holger vignetting going on here or anything like that mm-hmm. it's pretty nice and clean right across um the other thing i was i suppose surprised by to a certain extent um again because of the slow speed film even on the quite sunny days it's still shooting fairly wide open as much as it can now, that's only f4.5 at its widest, but it, it does throw the background out quite nicely. Um, I don't know if you've got the Flickr page open now, Aid. Uh, I do, yes. There's, I posted a picture, which was just before the ones you shared, of um, some cone flowers. And that, uh, obviously it's flowers because, as I mentioned last week, I was just shooting anything. But... <laughs> That's shot using the camera's macro setting to allow it to close focus as much as it can. It's not macro, it's barely close up. But that's thrown the background right out. It really uh, has, yeah. It looks, it looks nice, actually. Yeah, the, the, I hate using this word because I sound like a nub, but the bokeh in the, the couple of pictures where it's particularly evident is really quite nice, quite pleasing, quite soft. So that was a surprise. Um, I suppose because I was anticipating it in... Uh, lower, not say lower end, but in zoom lenses with not particularly wide apertures, the, the kind of things that you get in kit lenses on DSLRs, you you don't normally get that. They they won't get the nicely thrown out background on there. So I was expecting this to be similar to that, but it's been very nice. So I think when the, the portrait challenge comes along, that could be um, could be useful. Certainly could be useful. Uh, with regards to the film itself, the Ilford Pan F Plus, 
because um, I had not shot it before. I really like it. I really like the tones in it. Um, very pleasing and very fine grain, as you would expect. Um, I've only I've just put up, I think, a third picture, literally just as we were talking now, which is the first actual street photo um, I've shared so far. Normally, I have the opposite problem when I get a roll of film developed. Normally, my problem is put all the pictures up straight. There's a reason I haven't done that with this film. Uh, if you're still looking at the Flickr group, can you see the picture of um, my better half on there? I can, yes. You're a very lucky man. I am a very lucky man. As you look at that picture, can you see anything in particular about it? Uh, I don't know. Well, let me see. So uh, it seems that you've taken it using a flash. Um, yeah. Uh, Actually, it's quite the flash is not too bad on that, is it? No, no, no. It's uh, you know, it's it's uh, seems to work quite nicely. It hasn't you know washed out all the tones or anything like that. Uh, there seem to be a few scuffs and marks on it. Uh, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, that's what I'm referring to. Um, because I had just for a change a little bit of an issue in the developing system. Say it's not so. I know it's hard to believe, isn't it? Now, we went through the whole what happens if you keep your developer too long. So I'm not going to make that mistake again, at least not for at least a couple more months. <laughs> um, and with black and white, there's only three steps. You develop it. You use a stop bath, which for me, most of the time is just going to be water. Um, and then finally, you fix it. Now, because Ilford Pan F is quite a quick developing film, I used a proper Ilford stop bath this time, which is, um, I think it's got vitamin C in it or something like that. Anyway, it stops it more effectively than water does to keep, because the times are a bit tighter. And with both the stop bath and with the fixer, these are chemicals that you keep and reuse multiple times. Not right. the developer. My developer is one shot only. I use it and dispose of it. But the fixer you keep using and the stop bath. Right. And I was getting all my stuff ready, and I'd got my two bottles of these things ready to empty out into the containers. And I thought, well, what's the point emptying these into jugs then just to empty the jugs into this, into my um, tank? There's, there's no point. So I thought, I'll just tip them in straight from the jug because that, I know the temperature's fine. It's plenty warm enough. I've measured the developer temperature, so it's all fine. And so I went through this thing, tip stuff in, tip stuff back. And I was at the point where I was then rinsing the film. Now, fortunately, I was doing this in my dark room where there's not a sink. I just had some water and a bucket to tip it into or a, a, a jug to tip it into. So first lot of water goes into the tank. Slush, 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 slush. I tip the water out into the clear jug and notice that there's a lot of stuff floating around in there. Yeah. And when I, when I say a lot of stuff, I mean a lot of stuff. It looked like somebody who tipped a teaspoon of, I don't know, some like iron filings in there. Oh, dear. I was like, oh, that's not, not good. So what happened was, what happens is... What is your tale? Tell us your tale of woe. What Fixer does is it removes the unexposed silver. So um, the exposed silver, the developer develops, then the Fixer removes the unexposed stuff, bingo, you get your picture. So it soaks up all of this stuff, and it can also soak up other things like film dyes and stuff like that, but it gets it all out. And 
what I hadn't quite grokked in my brain was that this stuff can actually then form on the size of the tank that you're keeping it in because you're storing it over a long time. This can make like a little coating on the inside of the bottle you're storing it in. Um, and some bits might flake and go to the bottom, which isn't a big problem because it's on the sides and it's at the bottom. So you empty it into your nice clear jug and you can see it's all fine and you tip it into your developer. Um, if, however, you are storing your chemicals in a plastic concertina container, so when it's actually squashy, so it can move up and down quite a lot. All right, okay. And you do that with it quite a lot and you really shake it because fixer needs to be stirred well, and then you tip it straight from that bottle into your developing tank, what you're doing is essentially, at that point, just adding a billion particles to your film developing solution. Ouch. Um, so I realized that this is what I'd done. I'd never had this problem before. And I washed and washed and washed the film until the water was coming out without any visible particles in it. But of course, there's still hundreds stuck to the film, you know, too small to see. And even when they're too big, to, big enough to see, I can't get them off. I've tried wiping them, wiping off with alcohol to get, clean them off. They're just there. So that means that the only way I can get this film clean is by doing it digitally um i've had to scan in well i've scanned in all the film and i now have to go through shot by shot in photoshop elephants cloning out hundreds and hundreds of tiny white specks all over these pictures oh i i would say that it's probably taking an average of about half an hour just to do that with each picture, um, I'm yeah, not going to do. It with, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to do it with all of them. I'm only doing it with the ones that I actually want to then share. But oh, what a ball ache! Um, that so. does sound pretty. That does sound pretty harsh. Uh, I'm also quite glad that you're not a publican. I'd hate to buy a pint of ale off you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, oh God, it was just that that moment of what. What's that in the jug? That's that's not normally there. I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the jug before. Um, yeah, it really did. And I, I mean, that film had to be washed and washed and washed and washed until the water was coming out clear. But yeah, could not get the stuff off the negatives physically. So now I've just got to go through them all and uh, clone them out. I mean, I'm, I'm used to having to clone out some crud for my negatives because I'm not very good at getting clean negs. Um, but this is, this is something else. Um, and it is really time consuming. Thank goodness for Photoshop elements. Yes. Yes. Saved, saved many a photograph in my life as well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So tell us about the street photo that you've just, uh, uploaded as well in real time as we record this podcast. Yeah. So that's, that's the first one I've uh, not got a huge number of street photos, but obviously that's what it's all about. So I have got a couple more to go up. Um, that one was taken, uh, the thing I, been out with that just where I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago, where I went out to a nearby town called Woodstock um, in the evening and grabbed a couple of shots then. Um, and uh, yeah, that was just uh, because as I was talking to you about when I think after I'd been there, I was saying that it's 
the focusing isn't that quick. So I was looking for things that weren't moving too quickly. So this is a picture of a lady in a nice floral white dress um, walking away between some fairly unattractive uh, scaffolding all around her. And it's not particularly attractive. It's you know, it's scaffolding. I mean, it doesn't need to be explained. But it, it, It's beautiful scaffolding. It's beautiful. Well, you know, it's in Woodstock. It's very fancy area. Well, it, um, it is. It's, it's the ancestral home of Winston Churchill, for one thing. That's very true. Yeah, absolutely. It has a palace there and everything. Just, um, for, just for the benefit of our American listeners, it's not the Woodstock you think it is. It's a tiny village on the outskirts of Oxford in the UK. But it does have a palace. And It does have a palace. Yes, it does have a palace. An extraordinarily beautiful palace. Yeah, it's very nice. Um, but the reason I took the shot was because uh, I saw this lady walking away and her nice white dress really stood out as this light was starting to get down. And the scaffolding, it just framed her quite nicely. And I decided with that one to crop it from the original um, 35mm negative to a square because what's on either side of it is just more scaffolding. It wasn't adding anything to the picture, and it's my party, and I'll crop if I want to. No, I um, think that's a sound editorial choice actually, because it balance. It's quite a, a nicely balanced photo. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's interesting. The more pictures you take, the more you start to see things coming up, and I, I'm seeing increasingly in my pictures that it, I, it's the structure of it. I do look for quite solid structure to my pictures, almost more than anything else. Um, not necessarily great composition, but the the structure is often a key element of it. But um, so yeah, so I was quite pleased with that one. I think that's probably the best one I got from the evening when I went out there. But I've got a couple more, which by the time this podcast comes out, will have made its way to uh, certainly our Flickr group and to Instagram as well, no doubt. Um, but yeah, on the whole, I'm I I like the film that I shot. And the camera did well. I am pleased with the camera, even though I definitely hobbled it by using the film I did. Um, it paid off in the sense that on the really sunny days, I benefited from it from getting these lovely fine grain negatives. But if I'd been shooting even 100 speed film, it would have made a difference. And certainly if I'd had um, some HP5 or some T-Max in there at 400, um, I would have had no motion blur at all in there. Um, but no, I, it's, I, I'm pleased with the camera. Uh, it has now gone away in the cupboard and there it will sit <laughs> until the next challenge came along. Cause, um, I'm, you know, it's, it's going to get used for cheap shot challenges only. Um, well, you no. know, that's it's good. De- good to have a dedicated tool for uh, you know such a high-profile task as the cheap shots challenge. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yeah, well, I'll be putting my pictures up for that, and hopefully, you'll have yours in the next week or so as well. Hopefully, uh, yep. And then I'm I'm going to try and find an, an independent adjudicator to judge on this. Um, even if we can't get him to come on, I might ask Chris to cast his eyes over this for us because we need someone to pick a winner. We can't be trusted to do it, and. Um, Dave clearly can't be trusted to do it because he's not doing Um So we'll see if we can find a volunteer, maybe Chris, maybe somebody else who can look at this and um, and also look at the other people's pictures as well. But we we need a winner out of the two of us for this first round. Um, but yeah, it's been fun. I, I've enjoyed the experience and looking at the the shots that I've got. Um, so the only two I've shared on Instagram so far are not. Not ones that are particularly interesting, but I um, I got a nice picture 
it's a cliche as hell picture of a tree, but it's a dead tree that I've been driving past for years at this point. I keep looking at it thinking, I'd like to get a picture, I'd like to get a picture of that. And as I was driving back home from work the other day, I finally saw a little way to get to it and went and took a picture. And it's, it was taken in not quite the middle of the day, but early enough in the day that the light's not amazing on it. But the quality is there. This camera can take nice pictures. It is more than capable of taking nice pictures. Um, so I'm looking forward to trying out some of the other challenges as they come up. I was going to ask you that, actually, because, yeah, you've been a little bit down on it, uh, uh, you know, saying, oh, it was a r-, but, but maybe it was, as you say, it's the choice of film. I think the choice of film definitely hindered me. I really do. I, I goofed on that one. And I should have known. I mean, <laughs> it's, it was dumb because even the street photo shots that came out reasonably well, the, the depth of field on them is all quite shallow, which is nice, but actually for street photography, that's a hard word to say, isn't it? Photography shots. I like to have a good depth of field because you're trying to capture the whole scene. You want to see more front to back what's going on. So, yeah, it was. I made a bad choice with the film, but the camera, I think, was a solid choice at this point. But once the rest of the picture's up, you can give me your opinion on them and we'll... You know. Well, it's the opinion of the uh, independent judge that counts more than mine. But uh, we'll yeah, see. absolutely. Well, well if anybody, yeah, actually, by the time this comes out, we'll probably have already been on. To, know, our our schedule is such, but uh, yeah, onwards and upwards with that one. But yes, yeah. it's it's good. Ni- nice to have it done. Nice to have it finished. All right. Okay. Well, it's good. It's good. You know, it's good that uh, you know that despite the the ribbing you've had from me and possibly from one or two others um <laughs> it, you know that you've got some decent results out of it okay um and it doesn't have to suffer and this is the first of our shout outs or more likely as you say sometimes a shout at yeah uh, for this <laughs> for this episode um it doesn't need to suffer the fate uh, that some of the cameras that you've been looking at on eBay have suffered Go on, mate. Yo, do your shout at. <laughs> right. For this, we have to say thank you to uh, Ian K off the forums we've mentioned him several times before he shared with us on the forums a post saying somebody needs to buy this and an ebay link and what the link took us to and i will aid remind me to put this link in the show notes uh, what this link led us to is a lamp made out of cameras uh, it's several cameras all glued together i'm gonna see if i can bring it up now actually one second because um there was what four cameras in the picture uh, uh, some something like that. I ended up going on a little bit of a, an eBay browse and seeing other things that were like that as well. Some of them are quite horrifying monstrosities. Yeah, and, and as I said, Ian's response was, "Oh, somebody needs to buy this." My response is, "Oh my God, they've killed these cameras!" Um, and this is not the first time that I have seen this atrocity, this <laughs> this crime be done to cameras i went into there's a a shop in my local town whitney uh, that sells 
um, crafty stuff and sort of vaguely antique collectible stuff. So I look mooching every now and again on the off chance that they might have a camera I can buy. And they did have some cameras. They had some really nice box brownies, which is one of the things that's included in this one. Um, and they, again, had been turned into lamps. They'd been drilled and turned into lamps. And they were char- charging 40, 50 pounds for them. These are perfectly good working cameras that some son of a bitch has punched a hole in and made it into a tacky lamp oh it boils my blood because you know (laughs) these things there's only a finite number of them they're going away they're perfectly good working things why are you wrecking them and they what is it they call it upcycling that's not upcycling that's vandalism outrageous <laughs> absolutely you know if it's some mass-produced plastic slr from the late 90s uh, okay knock yourself out you know there's lots of those and they don't have any particular charm to them but when it's a perfectly good quality camera that somebody could take out and use and actually has some charm of its own, don't turn it into a lamp. Just, just if, put it on you. If you want to admire it, put it on your mantelpiece just as it is. My mantelpiece covered in cameras that I love looking at. <laughs> but, but the good thing is I can pick them off the mantelpiece, put some film in them and take them outside and shoot with them. It's really difficult to do that if there's a bulb in the sodding way <laughs> so just just for the avoidance of doubt you're not going to take your camera collection and open an etsy store <laughs> selling table lamps no i am not and uh woe betide anybody who i see perpetrating this crime we what we need is um i know there's peter it is Peter in the United States, isn't it? For the um, animal protection. That's oh, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yes, maybe. We, we need that, but for cameras. We need to start that um, because this is this is a heinous crime that that I think Etsy is encouraging people to perpetrate with more frequency and it needs to be stamped out. These people need to be dealt with in the harshest possible terms. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, um, so I'm against it in case anybody's unclear. <laughs> so thanks, Ian. Um, <laughs> yeah, buddy. <fuck> you, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, yeah, for bringing that to our attention because that's really made Graham's day. <laughs> <laughs> I like to have something to rant about. Well, you know, you do it so well. Thanks. It's my skill. <laughs> Okay, so I I have a shout-out, but definitely this one a shout-out and not a shout-out. My shout-out is to uh, an Instagrammer who goes under the the name of Theory of Film, at Theory of Film on Instagram, Uh, although the tagline for his account says his friends call him Jay. So hi, Jay. Uh, Thanks for interacting with me and with Graham on our, our Sunny 16 podcast Instagram accounts. Uh, looks like you're shooting some good stuff there as well, actually. Um, it says you're from Nashville on your profile. Um, and uh, so, you know, that will uh, clock one up for our American cousins. Uh, I think there are more of you than there are of our Canadian cousins, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are probably more of you in general than there are Canadians anyway. Anyway, so just say uh, yeah, hi to, to Jay, to Theory of Film. Uh, 
he said that he would be interested to hear the C41 development piece for last week's podcast. Uh, so hopefully that lived up to your expectations, Jay. Um, and, uh, you know, keep posting uh, those good shots and, uh, you know, keep the conversation flowing. Thanks very much. I've got uh, actually on the C41, I've got uh, another role of that to do this week. So I'll be developing my red scale role this week. So see how that comes out. Uh, right now, is that a uh, a special film for Red Scale, or is that just simply a a thirty five mil turned back to front? You can buy. Lomography does get, sell um, a Red Scale film. It's uh, I think it's called Red Dragon. Um, I've been seeing quite a lot of it lately because our oft mentioned good buddy, a story of pieces, has been posting quite a few pictures that he's been shooting on this red scale dragon really nice pictures actually what he's uh he's really clicked with the technique that it works phenomenally well if you're using it in very reflective surfaces hallways with lots of shiny floors and stuff like that um it works very well uh i'm not shooting the red scale dragon uh what i did was i took a roll of our previous film of the month the agfa vista 200 and just spooled that onto another roll of film backwards and um, I've tried that um, the only adjustment you have to make to it in the shooting is because you're shooting through the is it anti-halation layer mm, I, I that that is that are some words that are some <laughs> words Those, yeah let's say that that's right um, uh, because you're shooting through this it acts like a filter so I've um, metered it at uh, 50 ISO as opposed to the 200 ISO, which it was to allow a couple of stops more light going through. But then because it's C41, just develop it as usual. So we shall see. Okay. And uh, and you're going to do that in the next week or so then, are you? Yep. Yep, certainly am. Oh, excellent. Okay. So I will look forward to seeing that. And uh, I guess uh, posted to our Flickr group, to Instagram and anywhere else uh, we uh frolic around on the interwebs i like frolicking on the interwebs <laughs> i'm sure that you do which brings me back to the bikini thing you opened the show with. <laughs> <laughs> a mental image for everyone hey, okay if you want to, time if you to want go to... home now i think i'm probably gonna get a bit silly if we keep talking <laughs> i'm just gonna say if you want to take a picture of yourself in a bikini with the voigtlander vitreate on a little clip on your bikini i bet that would get us some clicks that that would be um instant clickbait i think i'd probably be banned from the internet if i did that as long as you weren't showing any nipples it'd be fine (laughs) i have to keep my bikini top on anyway because i have to have the clip for the camera don't i yeah yeah um just very quickly before we move on to the shout outs i just wanted to give a very quick shout out just because it's the most recent thing that i looked at somebody uh knew who caught my attention on instagram uh a guy called the hidden haku Haku spelled H-A-K-U. Um, just really nice uh, portraits on there. Um, some of them are uh, a little bit not suitable for work, at least as much as Instagram allows. But they're really beautiful pictures, very well done, and, um, yeah, well worth a look. All right. Well, I shall be sure to look him up then and uh, uh, do it not at work. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay all right well thanks everybody uh that brings us to the end of of this week's uh frolic around the interwebs of film photography la, 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 la. that's a frolicking noise if ever there was one. that is a good frolicking noise yeah. we'll put it on the greatest hits cd along with yeah. the other stuff uh we haven't had any breaking news today mm, we'll uh, have to save, save that song for next week then yeah yeah oh, well technically the new cameras the the large format camera was breaking news but i was too excited about the large format camera to put in the breaking news music uh, never mind no i probably needs its own theme tune actually something of that stature yeah i'll yeah. work it up for next week there'll be a grand production for next week there'll be multiple tracks and everything i'm looking forward to it <laughs> okay but until then for those of you that can't get enough of the sunny 16 podcast uh, please come and, and extend the conversation with us on the internet uh, as you know uh, graham hangs out on instagram under the name of at sunny 16 podcast uh, my own instagram account uh, which i i, I do stuff uh, for uh, the podcast as well is uh, at sunny 16 podcast underscore aid uh, so uh, I know uh, Theory of Film and a few others uh, have made that link uh, across to my account as well, but I'm always glad to talk to people there too. Uh, but I do also tend to be the one of the two of us that hangs out on Twitter, uh, again, at Sunny16Podcast. And uh, we're both and others now contributing to the Flickr group, uh, Sunny16Podcast. Chris, thanks, mate. As always, a wonder. Um, he's finished his project now that he was doing in Tokyo. We mentioned before Chris has been working on the project. He is the busiest man in the world. Uh, he also has a full-time job and is trying to build up his own business. But yeah, he's been taking photos of pretty much every restaurant in Tokyo uh, for a um, tourist site, uh, which I think has led to him being very tired and also very full. He said he never wants to see any food again. Um, so... Uh, Yes, congratulations on getting that done, Chris, and um, hopefully we will see the fruits of that labour soon. And thank you, as always, for all your help. And, um, yeah, if anybody also wants to get in touch with us via any of the other means, that um, could drop us an email. Our email is uh, sunny16podcast at gmail.com. In fact, so just somebody drop us an email just so I can be sure that our email account is working because <laughs> I don't think we've had a an email from anybody, not even spam yet. Um, <laughs> not even spam. Not even spam. Nobody has even offered me ways to enlarge my penis. Um, I'm feeling quite left out. Neither that nor the news I'm uh, related to a Nigerian prince. So, okay. Yeah. So come on then, everybody. We've got to make Graham's day. I tell you what, the email would be good for is if anybody wanted to record a short audio message for their own shout out on the podcast. Uh, be great to to hear from people uh, shout about yourselves ask us a question whatever you like um, and if you could do that with an audio clip we could uh, cut it into the podcast and answer the question absolutely well, you know what other thing i was thinking of and we mentioned or you and i talked about this a while ago um we obviously we've just drawing now to the end of this first cheap shots challenge but this will go on um you know if you hadn't had a chance to pick up a camera for this first round don't worry we will be doing this again so do keep cheap cameras and in fact i know that um cory can in this last week has picked up a lomo lca uh, 35 millimeter camera for the cheap shots challenge he seems a little bit perturbed by the use of 35 millimeter i think he's a very much a medium format chap um he paid he paid more than 20 quid for that uh, they I'm, cost a million pounds those things don't they uh, i'm i'm choosing to turn a blind eye to this um <laughs> but if anybody does pick up a camera for the cheap shots challenge and wants to let us know as aid said drop us a quick 
audio messages, record it on your phone or whatever, and send it over to us just saying who you are and what you've picked up on why. We would love to hear that. Um, so, yeah, get in touch, guys. We did. We love hearing from you and we love talking to you. It's why we do this and it's the most fun part of it. Absolutely. It's exactly why we do this. Right. OK, well, thank you very much, everybody. Uh, just a chance to say uh, thank you to Kevin McLeod, whose music Honeybee is is the theme tune for this podcast. Uh, it's under a Creative Commons license that we use that. Uh, and he can be found at incompetech.com. Yeah, it took me ages to choose that song. And he has a wealth of stuff that he's done now. It is a real gold mine. So please do go check it out for anything that you need incidental music for. And on that note, I'm going to say goodbye. Bye. I'm so excited about this large format camera. I cannot tell you. Oh, I'm going to get tight. It comes with a cape for me to hide underneath as well. That's superhero cape. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, sadly not. But yeah, oh, God, I just need one of those big um, flash things that you hold out to one side that explodes and I'm, I'm all set. Sweet. <laughs>